tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney+. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm another. I'm DJ. So, DJ, we are winding down Forgotten Realms, but before we get out of here, we got to talk about the new cards, the new non-legendary creature cards from the Forgotten Realms Commander product. I like this a lot because you always get a pre-con, you know, I love playing it together, but then after I play it, I love like picking it apart. You know what I mean? You get all those little treats for your other commander decks. And I think it's so fun to look at these new cards because they they have more freedom to be unique, you know? Yeah, they really do design the commander decks, you know, for the deck itself to be cohesive, but they also do sort of cherry pick uh, some designs they want to put into commander, mm-hmm. but they don't want it to go through standard or whatever. So they can kind of put a couple of, of uh, hidden gems in there that you're I think you're you're meant to pull out yeah um yeah I often order like a lot of singles from the commander products uh to go in my decks and speaking of singles if you want to order some singles cardkingdom.com slash command zone that's the place to go that's our affiliate link you know you're gonna buy magic cards anyway you may as well just use the affiliate link when you do because you're simultaneously helping out all of our content when you do that and also card kingdom is just the best they get you the stuff the fastest in the best condition if there's any problems they are the best at resolving your problems. They go above and beyond. And that's that's one thing I really love in a company. So Card Kingdom, definitely a great company that we can really stand behind and we have for years and years. Uh, and once you get the cards that you've ordered, you want to protect them, right? You don't want them to get dinged up or banged up. And you can see all of our cards here on the table are in Eclipse Sleeves Pro Gloss. Mm-hmm. Eclipse Sleeves, that's uh, by Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro is the company we trust our own collections to to make sure that our cards stay safe. They make the playmats, the deck boxes, the sleeves. They, they have awesome dice. They have everything you need to uh, adorn your battlefield. Uh, and then, of course, the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. Uh, patrons get all kinds of cool perks. Get to watch, let's see, game nights earlier than anybody else. If you haven't seen the latest episode of Game Nights, came out, I think, about a week or two ago when you're watching this. A really exciting game. Had some cool D&D flair. Yeah, we got an episode of Extra Turns coming up. Yep. You know, so... Might have come out already. Uh, We're shooting this a little bit ahead of time, so I'm not sure of the schedule. We got another episode of Game Nights on the horizon uh, playing... The AFC Commander decks, actually. We have some cool guests for that one. I won't tease, uh, I won't spoil who that is quite yet. Anyway, patrons also get one other perk. Actually, they get a lot more than one other perk. I know. But right? there is one cool perk that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do right now, which is we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated, dedicated to, to William Gerwig. William, you rock. Thanks, William. All right. Let's get into our main topic here. AFC, which is the Forgotten Realms Commander product. The In the 99 set review. So one thing I think that a lot of us noticed about these pre-constructed decks is that they are very focused. We have like a dungeon deck on the newest dungeon mechanic. You know what I mean? Uh, And before this release, 
No one had a dungeon deck. You right. know what I mean? Do, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. <laughs> uh, so it's really interesting to have these pre-constructed decks that are so narrow. I mean, same thing with dice rolling, right? Yeah. You know, you might have had an enraged deck, but you didn't have a dice rolling deck. And so we noticed that these pre-cons are pretty narrow going towards uh, pretty new archetypes. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit last year of Ikoria. Yeah. There was the mutate deck and then there was the um, keyword counter deck and those right. really had a little bit of overlap but not a ton because I think that's one of the things that that releasing the commander product around a specific set allows them to do which is make it so that uh, you could at least build a Dungeons Matter deck. Um, it might not have as much support because you don't have 25 years of magic behind it but at least they can sort of bolster it a little bit with commander product and main set. Totally. I'm glad that they do it and I really like new decks that I've never seen before. It does mean that there are fewer cards that go in the 99 because like your Dungeon Matters card doesn't easily slot into my existing deck. Yeah, so all of this is by way of which to say we're not going to go super deep on the really narrow cards. Uh, we say this in a lot of set reviews, which is like, hey, you don't need us to tell you that you should put zombies into your zombie deck. And this is kind of the same thing. You don't really need us to tell you like, hey, if you're building a Dungeons Matter deck, use the Dungeons Matter cards <laughs> in the Commander product, right? Yeah. If you're building a dice rolling deck, well, it, it really has only been this a couple of sets where you can even pull from. So yes, use the cards that have dice rolling on them. We're going to go through just a couple highlights because it's fun, but we're not going to dwell on that. Otherwise, this would be a four hour long episode. So so, having said all that, let's start with the dungeon cards. That's right. So, let's start with the what I think is one of the best dungeon cards. And so, if you are building a Dungeon Matters deck, I think that you need to include Radiant Solar. Uh, Radiant Solar is five and a white for a three six angel with flying and lifelink. Whenever Radiant Solar or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, venture into the dungeon. You can also pay a white and discard Radiant Solar, venture into the dungeon, and you gain three life. Okay, so a lot of interesting stuff. And we've seen some of this stuff on other cards. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we see, though, has ways to venture into the dungeon once a turn. Yeah. And it feels like they've they've held us back a little bit. You know, uh, even the face commander says, you know, venture in once per turn. Do this yeah. effect once per turn. But Radiant Solar is just like, no, cr non-token creature enters the battlefield, venture. And so you can cast these creatures and keep venturing. And I think that you gain a lot of advantage in these venture decks when you can venture a couple, three or four times in a single turn and kind of explosively venture through the dungeon. And I think that this is a card that facilitates that. Yeah, you don't even have to cast, actually, either. It's just enter the battlefield, which I like. I think, like, Varus is another similar card, but mm -hmm. says only do it once per turn, and it's ca it's on cast of the creature. This is ETB, so you can flicker, you can reanimate, you can you can do some tricky shenanigans. And if you can get into a situation like a Gravecaller or something, shenanigans where something's entering, leaving, entering, leaving an arbitrary amount of times, then you can venture that many times and... We've kind of established yeah. if you venture, you the game, yeah. yeah, if you venture enough, you can win the game based on just creating the treasure, drawing the cards and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that this is sort of a highlight of the dungeon deck. If you're interested in dungeons, obviously look at anything that says venture on it, but I think you definitely have to pay attention to this card. All right. The next dungeon card that might matter is thorough investigation Two and a white for an enchantment. Whenever you attack investigate, which means you create a clue token and you can pay two and sacrifice the clue to draw a card. That's what clues are. And it says, Whenever you sacrifice a clue, venture into the dungeon. So I like this card because just whenever you attack investigate is like borderline playable. Yeah. Especially I think it in, is. in mono white. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even in Boros or even in some other colors, if you're going to be attacking a lot, just getting an extra card draw outlet, it's kind of like every time you attack, you may pay two draw a card, but it's even better than that because you can pay the two at any time. So you don't like 
have to wait and see, do I need my removal spell? No, I don't. Now I can crash it in. So that's it's a little better than that. And then it gives additional value because when you crack the clues, you venture into the dungeon. Yeah, I, I like this card. I think it's very strong in those dungeon decks like we talked about. And I do think it's on the edge of being good in just a, a mono white deck to get that card advantage. Because I also like that you would you like investigating. You'll take the clue, you'll take the card, but then you also get, it's a little bit more than a card. You know what I mean? Because you also get to venture through that dungeon. So you get the, the card in the scry. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, card in a treasure, card in a one one card in a one one counter card in a draw yeah. like that you know once you do that three or four times you've actually gotten like one point you know three three or one point five <laughs> cards per time you 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 attacked yeah so I, I actually think thorough investigation is one of the few dungeon slash dice enablers that might make it out into the wild in a deck that doesn't have any other venturing in the dungeon in it yeah I I do. I am a little bit annoyed that it's on attack and white. Like yes. I want other ways of gaining card advantage besides attacking. But you know what? I'm not going to argue too much. I wish it was like per player too. So oh, allow me yeah. to get three clues if I attack three different players. Like a lot because clues are not broken. They, you still pay two mana, right, to draw the card. So uh. yeah. Okay. Uh, and the last uh, card that we think is a particular call out in the dungeon category is a mid midnight pathfinder. Sorry. And the last card that we have in the dungeon category is Midnight Path Lighter. Two <laughs> white, blue. You don't want to try it again? <laughs> I'm afraid that they're just going to leave this whole thing in there. They are. They are. <laughs> just continue. Midnight Path Lighter. There we go. Two white, blue for two, three human wizard creatures you control can't be blocked except by legendary creatures. Uh, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player venture into the dungeon. So it's interesting because this gives evasion and it gives value on uh, dealing combat damage to a player. This does say a player. So if you hit three players, you'll venture three times. That is, that's pretty good. We talk about how being able to explosively move through the dungeon is really good. Uh, I just am a little bit, how many legendary creatures are out there? How free is this for attacking? You know what I mean? It's, it's not shadow. It's not horsemanship. Is it better than flying? It's really hard to it's, it's tell. So like, hard. I'm trying to think. I mean, I think there are a lot of legendary creatures out there, but people don't block that much in general uh, with their legendary creatures. Usually it's their commander. Yeah, right. It's their commander. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I mean, it's definitely not as good as horsemanship as, you know, <laughs> I think that's that's true because it, nothing has horsemanship. Is it roughly equivalent to flying? It's probably not quite as good as flying, right? Again, again, I don't know, and I think that... So it's at least close enough that yeah, it's, it's an close argument. Enough. Yeah, it's a close enough so argument. That, that's worth something. Yeah, four like, mana, make your stuff like... Like, if, if it was four mana, give all your stuff flying. Like, archetype of imagination, yeah. people play well, that. Yeah, that takes away that, flying. I know, it's that's totally unblockable, different. you're right. But, but, I mean, if it was four mana, give all your stuff flying, that's, like, playable, right? Yeah, that's playable, for sure. So the fact that it also gives um, value on... Uh, is it on attack? Combat on combat damage. damage. Combat damage. So I wanted to compare this to something like Biden of Thassa. So Biden of Thassa is two blue blue for a legendary artifact. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. So it's the same cost basically. And then it also has an activated ability. You can pay one in blue and creatures your opponents control attack this turn if able. So you can force them to attack which shields down and then you can attack them. Almost never does anybody use Biden of Thassa's ability. I've very rarely seen it. Once in a while they'll do it to kill something, but it's, it's rare. Um, so this doesn't give this the evasion, but it every time you hit with a creature, you draw a card. Drawing a card is a lot better than venturing into the dungeon. Yeah. So on you've got Binathassa in your left hand and Midnight Pathlighter in your right hands. 
Are they even comparable or is it just Biden and Thassa every time? Slam dunk Biden and Thassa and then I'll also play Coastal Piracy and Reconnaissance yes, exactly. and those other ones too. So, But none of those give the evasion. You're right. They don't. So the fact that this feels two rolls or is just venture into the dungeon just so much worse than draw a card that you just don't even put them in the same category. Is Midnight Pathlighter more of a give my team evasion card than it is a create value from attacking card? Do you know what? Now that, now that we're talking about it in these terms, I think it has to be. Yeah. You know? Because if it's just the the trigger, the combat damage trigger, I don't think it's good enough. There's so many other things that overshadow it, so it has to be that evasion. So then I kind of like it in decks that want to give all their team evasion, in which case it does give you a little extra in addition to that evasion. So maybe it's it's more playable than I thought, honestly. I can see, yeah, I actually yeah. can see that now, like a Geist of St. Traft, like low to the ground, blue-white yeah. tempo creatures, attacky-tacky deck. yeah. It seems yeah. like it's going to basically do the job of a Sun Quan. I mean, not not at quite as good, but mm-hmm. it's one less or two less mana and uh, a lot less expensive. Sun Quan is I a lot that, of money. Do you know what? I think that you've convinced me to, to like it a lot more than I did when I started this. I, I think that's good. I convinced myself as well because I yeah. thought going into the discussion, I would like Biden and Thassa yeah. a lot more. But I think they're just different. They're not the same. Yeah, you can't different. You can't think of them as the same card. Okay. Uh, the next arc, that's all the dungeon cards we're going to talk about. There were many, many more in this set. And like we said, hey, if you're building a dungeons deck, you probably want those cards, but we're not going to dwell on them. The next archetype is uh, rolling dice. So this is another new thing uh, that they've brought along in Forgotten Realms. So we're going to talk about a few cards here that we think may have some usability outside of just rolling dice decks. This first one is Component Pouch, three mana for an artifact. You can tap it and remove a component counter from the component couch, sorry, component pouch, and then add two mana of different colors. So it doesn't start with any counters, but it also has a second ability, which is you tap it and roll a d20. And if you roll a one through nine, you put one counter on the thing. And if you roll a 10 through 20, you put two counters on it. So if you roll a 10 or above, which you're on average, you should roll, you're slightly favored. It's like 60% or something um, to get two counters. And then you can spend the next two turns tapping it to get two mana each time if you do that uh you know obviously good in a dice rolling deck because so many cards say when you roll a dice do this other thing or roll two or so you just want to be rolling dice yeah i think this is top tier in dice rolling decks kind of like we were talking about radiant solar being top tier i think it's good because you get to roll for free and you just and it's always good like you're always putting something on it you're always sort of ramping your mana or whatever like that yeah and it's something that you could do every turn i mean i've seen some dice rolling decks you would probably play a card that was just like a couple of mana tap roll a dice don't do anything you know doesn't have a payoff for the rolling of the dice just says roll a dice have fun exactly and that's what this kind of can be um you had an interesting comparison though thinking about component couch couch i always wanted to be a couch you know why because couch is very comfortable and i wish i was on the couch right now um (laughs) component pouch You had an interesting comparison to a card that sees a decent amount of play. Yeah, um, it felt a little bit like Coalition Relic. Mm -hmm. Coalition Relic is three mana for an artifact. You can tap to add one mana of any color, or you can tap to put a charge counter on Coalition Relic, and at the beginning of your post-combat main phase, remove all charge counters from Coalition Relic, add one mana of any color This uh, for each charge counter, remove this way. So the play pattern is play it on three, charge it, and then on your next turn, be able to have two, that mana. two mana out of it. Yeah. So uh, on turn your turn four, you have six mana. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that play pattern can be mimicked by this pouch. Yeah, that's true. So, and there oftentimes when I see people playing with Coalition Relic, and myself included, I hardly ever tap it for mana. I always try to like have that thing be untapped and then charge it before my turn and then try to have it up. And is that true though? Cause I feel like I use my coloration relic for regular mana quite often. And I, 
you know, obviously you pick your spots for the other thing, but I feel like I still tap it for one mana quite often. I mean, you have to have exacts, like exactly need the two mana or whatever. Yeah. A lot of times it's like, uh, the other thing I will say is Coalition Relic can be tap for mana the turn you play it. It's true. So a lot of times you're like turn six or something, you draw it, you play it, you tap it along with your other three mana, and now you cast a four drop and a three drop in the same turn, which Component Pouch cannot do. You are absolutely right. Coalition Relic is, I believe, definitively better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that it this is a good card. Coalition Relic is a good card. Yeah. And so the fact that the play pattern can be compared means that this is an amazing dice rolling card. Sure. But yeah, I wouldn't put Component pouch in any deck that doesn't have dice rolling even if you're not playing coalition relic i still wouldn't play it i would just just play a two mana rock also coalition relic after reprints is like a dollar yeah so because it used to be like a 15 dollar card and then i'd be like oh i got it dude budget coalition relic go for it maybe you'll be fine but now that coalition relic is like a dollar 50 or something like that it's like why bother rolling dice and coalition relic isn't even like a staple anymore it's fringe playable like i'm cutting most of my three mana rocks now so yeah i don't like component pouch much all right let's talk about the next dice rolling card which is chaos dragon one red red for a four four dragon with flying and haste holy crap three mana four four (laughs) flying haste chaos dragon attacks each combat of able that's not that bad that's just forcing you to play correctly (laughs) but it says at the beginning of combat on your turn each player rolls a d20 each player if one or more opponents had the highest result chaos dragon can't attack those players or planeswalkers they control this combat so basically, at, before combat, you and everybody else roll a dice. You want to roll the highest because that means you can attack anybody who you want. If you didn't roll the highest, whoever did, you cannot attack with the dragon this turn. Boy, how big of a downside is that? that? You can attack the other two. Right. Yeah. If so, if two people tie for the highest, though, you can't attack either of them. You have to attack the third person. If all three tie for the highest, then you should go to Vegas because <laughs> that seems like it's very unlikely to happen. I just think that there are very few decks in Commander that want a... F- this much damage, like just to do this kind of aggressive damage, this right. four four flyer. But if you, but there are decks out Three there that do four four flying haste. It is it is very pushed when yeah. it comes to just dealing damage. And so if you are a deck that wants to deal damage, like a red deck, a gruel deck that just wants things on the battlefield to just punch in and deal damage, I think it's great. Um, and sometimes those types of decks, uh, yes, they would have a preferred person, but most of the time you're going to be able to attack who you want to. I found the haste to be quite important in like equipment decks. Or uh, aura decks because often they'll just remove your creature and you're sitting there like I need another creature but then I can put all this stuff on it so even turn nine or something you're like whatever play this thing it has haste put all the stuff on it swing this is a little bit scary because it might not be able to swing at who you want I don't know how big of a downside that is it it does does it get worse as there's less players because once you're down to one v one you only have a fifty fifty chance of being able to hit your opponent with it right yeah or that's, ba- it's that's probably bad. slightly under fifty percent because you can tie. So oh, on ties, you, you don't get to attack them. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather just play a card that I know is going to do what I want to rather than have like this iffy, I got to roll dice, even though that I know the dice rolling can be fun. Yeah. I, I think that this might be aggressive enough and pushed enough that I would be okay playing with it because once you get down to 1v1 in Commander, almost any three drop you draw might just not be what you need to close That's out the game. That's you know point. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that this card fulfills the role of being able to pressure life totals quickly. It's going to hit for a lot. Whoever yeah. loses the dice roll early is going to be like, ah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got one more dice rolling card we're going to talk about here. It is another card that harkens to other cards in the past. Yeah, it's Diviner's Portent. X, blue, blue, blue. For an instant, roll a d20 and add the number of cards in your hand. A 1 through 14, you just draw X cards. A 15 plus, scry X, then draw X cards. So 
if you have, you know, five cards in your hand, then you only have to roll a 10 or above to scry, then draw X cards. Uh, the X is always determined by the amount of mana you spent. Mm-hmm. It's just whether you get to scry or not before you draw. Uh, how important is the scry when you're drawing so much? Because in my experience, the stroke of genius type Blue Sun Zenith cards, you don't usually see them cast for a draw three. They're usually like 10 or more. Exactly. In those cases, it doesn't feel like scry. It's not going to do very much because you're drawing so much, whether you're you're going to hit the things that you want to anyways, and there's going to be cards stranded in your hand anyways that you would have scryed to the bottom. Right. And so you're just brute force. Uh, like I guess scry 10, in. draw 10 is still good though. Like it's very you're going to get rid of like five or six cards and then, you know, you'll get a better hand than you would have by not looking. So I guess that's still an upside. Maybe if you're searching for something specific, yeah, like you a, know, I, I need mean, a board wipe. I need a board wipe. I need a combo piece or something like that. I think that could be really good. But I don't think that this is inherently better than, say, Commander's Insight, X blue, blue, blue instant, you draw X cards, and then you draw an additional card for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. Uh, or Blue Sun Zenith. X blue, 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 target player draws X cards. You shuffle Blue Sun Zenith into its owner's library. Well, I will say go back to Commander's Insight. It's yeah. actually not you draw. It's target player draws. And that's a huge difference yes. because Blue Sun Zenith and Commander's Insight both say target player and actually like are often used to KO players because you get enough mana and you go, ah, I'm going to Blue Sun Zenith you for 900. And they're like, I can't draw 900. And you're like, you lose the game then. And Diviner's Portent does not have that mode. So I think it makes it quite a bit worse than those other two cards. And the Scry is not worth it. You're going to play the other two cards. I totally agree. All right. right. Sounds good. All right. Let's go on to another category of cards, which is auras and equipment, uh, because there were four commander decks this year, and there was a dungeon deck, a dice deck, and then an auras and equipment deck. So we're going to talk about the aura and equipment kind of in its own category. Uh, The first one's interesting. Uh, the first one is Holy Avenger. It's two and a white for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has double strike. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage, you may put an aura card from your hand onto the battlefield attached to it. Equip two and a white. So this is interesting because it cheats mana cost on some big auras, but also because it gives the creature double strike, it, you hit them and then it triggers and you put the aura on and for the second hit with double strike the aura will be there and then also when you hit them the second time you'll get a second aura onto the creature so it or yeah so it, when you deal combat damage to a player you can potentially get two auras for free from your hand onto that same creature. It's pretty great. And actually, this is a pretty normal rate. Like, Fire Shrieker is not something yeah. that we are, like, super excited about. It's equipment that gives double strike. But it's close to this equip cost. Yeah. Um, and so I think that this is not an embarrassing card. One thing that Wizards is doing, though, that's not embarrassing. Not em- <laughs> I don't... That I, is just a hearty endorsement <laughs> from DJ. That is not embarrassing. Well, here's the, here's the thing that, that pushes me in two different directions. It's because uh, Wizards is is maybe not pushing, but giving us access to uh, equipment and auras overlapping. And a lot of times that wasn't as good. You know what I mean? Like you wanted either all equipment, so all your equipment synergized, or you want all auras, so all your auras synergized. And there weren't enough things that overlapped that did both. And this is one of them that does kind of overlap. And I think that that opens up a, a new area for us to look at. Yeah, and it feels like this can go in an aura deck. Yes, 
but not doesn't necessarily go in an equipment deck, which is I, weird because yeah. it is an equipment, um, which is kind of a downside, right? Because in your aura deck, you probably have a lot of things that bring enchantments back and make use of them, whereas the Holy Avenger is going to go out there and maybe it gets destroyed and you can't bring it back and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I think you'd rather want this to be an aura yeah. than, because you also want other auras in the deck, you know? But it's I, I like that push and pull a little bit. gives us some deck building restrictions. Uh, um, oh, interestingly, what... Uh, you know auras do you think you would want to cheat out onto the creature for free like that this seems like a fun game to play this is a fun game to play how about the biggest eldrazi conscription eight mana for a tribal enchantment eldrazi aura enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus 10 plus 10 and has trample and annihilator too now the annihilator won't do anything because you're already attacking obviously they'll do stuff the next turn but not this current turn but still plus 10 plus 10 and trample could matter uh next up celestial mantle Mm -hmm. three white 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 for an aura enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus three plus three whenever enchanted uh creature deals combat damage to a player double its controller's life total so you know you already hit him once. You're probably going to hit him with the second shot. So you're going to double your life total. That seems good. And then, and then next, next turn, turn you, you double, double again. Double. Double. Yeah. So you've <laughs> double strike. Double, yeah. Double. Boy. That's great. Uh, and then of course there's a uh, good old classification. Five green green for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature when classification enters the battlefield. Tap enchanted creature. That doesn't matter because it's already attacking. Yep. So doesn't matter if it taps it. And then enchanted creature gets plus twenty plus twenty. So, so if it's your commander, they're dead. Yeah. Like, that's immediate death uh, on your commander. Unless your commander has zero power somehow. But I guess it couldn't because you've already dealt combat damage to them. So it has some amount of power. There you go. Okay. Instant instant death. Magical Christmas land, but it's still fun. Yeah, it's a little bit of magical Christmas land. <laughs> All right. The next uh, aura and equipment card is Mantle of the Ancients. Three white white for enchantment aura, enchant creature you control. When Mantle of the Ancients enters the battlefield, return any number of target auras and or equipment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to Enchanted Creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one for each aura and equipment attached to it. This is a cool recovery card, and one of the things that Voltron really, really has problems with is they get off to fast starts, they get a bunch of stuff piled onto one creature, then somehow that creature gets removed, and now they're just stuck in the mud. Yeah. And this is a way you can, like, play a creature, or... or Maybe not even like that creature gets removed. Somebody Vandal blasts you. Somebody, you know, austere commands. Somebody does a thing that destroys all of the Voltron pieces. And then you're just like, oh, what am I going to do? So this is a way that's like, boom, in one foul swoop, I will get all that stuff back from the graveyard, piled back onto a creature and maybe kill some people out of nowhere. Yeah, it gets you back in the game. A lot of times these Voltron decks, they have they have to commit a lot of stuff to the board. And it means that they're kind of easier to disassemble, to interrupt and stuff like that. That's one of your things about Voltron decks. You're like, that's why I, they're bad. I mean, yeah, that's the, honestly the reality like yeah. why they're not good. Yeah. I think more and more cards like this help bolster that to make sure that there are fewer feel bads when you're playing and will make the deck a little bit better. At least you have some ability to still punch later in the game if you've been thwarted. You can at least be like, okay, if I draw Mantle of the Ancients, I have a chance to do to come back here. Exactly. To recover. Uh, Retether is a similar card, and that's played in 30% of Aura decks. So if you have an Aura deck, you're probably going to play this card too. Yeah, and it, it itself is an Aura. So it seems like it goes better in an Aura deck than an Equipment deck. For sure. All right. The next one is Robe of Stars. This is interesting. I think this could see play outside of or an equipment text. It is one in a white for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus zero, plus three, three toughness. But it has astral projection, which is you can pay one in a white and equipped creature phases out. And it has an equipped cost of one. So phasing out means that you treat the creature 
or you treat the creature and anything attached to it as though they don't exist until its controller's next turn. And then right before untap, it will phase back in, untap, and then exist again. I love this level of protection. Yeah. You know, I, because a lot of times you want to interrupt removal. That's fine. But you got like swift foot boots and other things like that. Uh, board wipes. You know, you want to interrupt that too. That's the big one. Yeah. That's the big one I'd say is like, there's there's certain board wipes that are really, like you get dark steel plate on your thing, you give it hex proof, you feel like, oh man, it's so hard to kill us, they say clonic rift. And you're just like, ah, because... Yeah, sure. I, it all goes back to my hand, but that's like 27 mana worth of stuff. It's going to take me three turns to redeploy. I'm going to be dead by then. Robe of Stars says, no, just pay one in a white. The creature and everything attached to it don't exist. So the Cyclonic Rift hits everything else, and then it comes back into play with all the stuff on, and you're still good. It's so good. Yeah. And, and I think that there need to be more things that fight against cards like Cyclonic Rift. Yep. Uh, also, this isn't just protection for your creature, like you mentioned. Like They single target removal a key aura on it and stuff yep. like that. So I think that this is... Uh, just really solid uh, in and a lot of different decks. And equi- yeah, I don't think just equipment decks. Like, this is a good protection piece for your commander that's, a, I think, you know, later in the game, better than a Swift Foot Boots or something like that. Uh, because it it's, there are ways around the Hexproof. Or even like, you know, Dark Seal Plate or something like that. There are ways around the Indestructible. Mm-hmm. Phasing is really, like, there's not a <laughs> lot of ways around it. You have to hold two mana open. Yeah. If you have an equipment tech, though, where you can maybe equip, the, move this around at instant speed and Oof. stuff like that, you might be able to... Oh, can I you like even that. move this? At, uh, activate it, move it, activate it? Like, right? It puts the phasing on the stack, right? Like, that should work, I believe. Pay it. Pay it. The, the, and it says it's put on that phasing on the stack. Instant speed equip over. Yes, you can. Yeah. See, so in that seems really, really powerful because one of the really big downsides of equipment decks, even if they're Vol- not Voltron or not, is just you have to commit a lot to the board. And if that ever gets blown up, you, you often cannot win anymore. So just the ability to be like, okay, I'm ahead on board right now. I'll just have over the stars up with a lot of mana and it'll be really hard to mess with me. It's like, it's like a mini Teferi's protection that they can see. He's he's reading it like, I, will that work? I'm not sure. Equipped creature phases out. Once you put it on the stack, would it, and the, if you moved it over, would it be like, well, it's not equipped anymore? I know, when that's it resolves? What I mean. it's like, <laughs> All right, well, listen, maybe the tell, moving judges around, tell us in the comments down below. But it does protect <laughs> any one thing for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's all we needed to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, pumps toughness. If you care about that in Voltron decks, I don't know Doran decks. Something sure. Like that. Sure. Some good stuff like that. Oh, something fun. I mean, we've seen uh, an aura do something like this, like flicker form. Flicker uh-huh. form is. A one in a white for an aura chant creature. It gets too white white to activate it. Too much. Four mana is too much. Every, yeah. I've, yeah. I used to play for flicker form a little, but it's got to go. It, it's too much mana. It's just wait. So, number one, we've kind of acknowledged that this is better because we've Most seen something. Yeah. We've seen something that like flicker form and been like, it's just way too taxing to be able to do that. But, anyways, flicker form basically says exile and shaded creature and all uh, auras attached to it at the beginning of the next end step. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. If you do, return another card's exiled this way under their owner's control control attached to the creature okay um so it exiles it and everything on and makes sure that the rules work and puts it back into play uh flicker form does get you etbs and this yep. does not yep. uh but it has been used to do some cute stuff with cards like uh mangara of corndor yeah mangara you can activate and in response before the ability resolves you can blink mangara out so you don't have to exile mangara and the thing the target permanent it'll just exile the target permanent yep so you can tap mangara and then Robo Stars phases out, yeah. Yeah, and that's only two mana to be able to do that, and then the thing gets exiled, and your Mungar comes right back to do it again every turn. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you need haste, but yeah. 
I've done yeah. a lot of that in my garring. <laughs> uh, one thing to note about Robo Stars and phasing is that it does not leave the battlefield and come back when you phase out, so you won't get ETBs again. Yeah. Sorry to break your dreams out there, everybody. All right. <laughs> the last Orn equipment we're going to talk about, this is the last one, right? Yep. yep. Is Wand of Orcus, a very famous D&D item, I'm told. Hmm. Two and a black for a legendary artifact equipment has three to equip. It says, whenever equipped creature attacks or blocks, it and zombies you control gain death touch until end of turn. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create that many 2-2 black zombie creature tokens. That many meaning as much damage as you dealt. So if you swing with a 10-10 wearing this and it gets through, you will get 10 2-2 black zombie creature tokens. And they don't enter the battlefield tapped like zombies often do. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus it gives that death touch so it does disincentivize the blocking part. What's its equip cost? Uh, three. Three. Okay. So three to play, three to equip. Same as Holy Avenger, kind of. It doesn't yeah. have the black and We have found that that, that 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 equip cost is really prohibitive. Like, it is you very three hard and to two. move around. Yes, you do. The, the difference between two to equip and three to equip is huge. Mm-hmm. If you if it's three or more to equip, you often, like, never pay that. Like, you, you equip it one time and that's it. But one time could be a lot. Like, y- <laughs> you put it out there in a swing for enough. I mean, even five tutus is a lot. It's a ton. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Grave Titan is a real card yeah. that kind of does a similar thing to this. I mean, it always comes with two. Well, it's not the exact same thing, but... What about the death touch? Uh, does giving your zombies death touch, does that does that matter? Does it make Maybe your zombies better zombie attacking? Deck. Yeah, yeah, it does, but it really makes it better blockers. Because mm. often, you... like, five tutus are not, you know, at a certain point in the game are not doing much, but they'll thwart attacks for a long time if they've, you know, got this thing out. Yeah. So the so even in zombie decks, you're not super excited about the death touch, but creating zombies. I mean, I have a ton of the blood sower deck. A ton of gets out on control sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Two red green for a two two uh, elf druid with trample. Whenever ton of the blood sower deals combat damage to a player, create that many one one green sapperling creature tokens. Yeah. Um, and so that's sapperlings. Yeah. You know, uh, you have a little bit more control because it's in your command zone. You have the deck built around it. But she's got trample too. Yeah. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. But creating zombies is awesome. So this does have the top end power level. It's just that three to cast, three to equip clunkiness that's kind of keeping us from being super excited about it. Yeah, and Tana is your commander, so you can build your entire deck around it. It's hard to build your entire deck around Wand of Orcus, right? Would you just stick it in a zombie deck to just equip to some random big old zombie to attack with? Maybe. I don't think I do. I think it's probably too slow. Six mana is just a lot for that. Your zombie deck does not generally have trouble making zombies. Like, that's not what it's worried about. It can do that with all of its cards. Maybe if you have some general that has trample or something like that, like a Voltron yeah, maybe, deck or something like maybe. that. You know, they say that sometimes Voltron decks really like vigilance because you attack all in and you leave yourself yeah. open. You know, maybe you attack all in, you have trample, you have ways to get damage through, and then you back yourself up with a ton of zombies. Yeah, that could be a thing. It could be. All right. Those are the ores and equipment. So right. now we've covered all of the really like narrower kind of archetypes, the dungeons, the dice rolling, the ores right. and equipment. Now we're getting into just sort of the general cards that can, I think they can fit in a lot of different decks. So we're going to go by color here. We're going to start with white. Let's start with Valiant Endeavor. Four white, white for a sorcery. Roll two D6, that's dice, and choose one result. Destroy each creature with power greater than or equal to that result. So you want a low number if you want to destroy all creatures. Then create a number of 2-2 white knight creature tokens with vigilance equal to the other result. So let's say you roll two dice and you get a 2 and a 4. If you choose 2, 
Then you'll destroy each creature with power greater than or equal to two. And then the other dice was a four, so you get four two two white knight creature tokens. And because you resolve the spell in order, yep. those knights will not be destroyed. You'll always get the knights. You'll always get the knights. They won't die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like a cool board wipe. You know, a little bit of a little bit of control. Like, let's say that you have a bunch of two two knights. Right. You know, you can pick the role that hopefully doesn't kill your own knights and then add to your army. Right. Here's the thing about board wipes. A lot of times you rely on them to do exactly what you want exactly when you want them because that's how you save yourself from death. Yeah. And when you have to pay six mana, that's not exactly when you want. And when you have to roll dice, that's not doing exactly what you want it to. Imagine you roll a five and a six. Oof. You could be like, okay, well, I destroy all creatures power five or greater and you're just still dead to whatever like was the zombie you. army yeah, or exactly. those, you know, sapperlings or something like that. You're just yeah. still dead. That can definitely happen. So it's... That's what worries me. I, I like what you said there, which is like, I would just rather have a card that I know is going to do what I need to do. You put in a card and it's filling a role. Mm -hmm. And this one is filling two roles kind of badly, right? You don't know how exactly how much stuff it's going to kill. And you also don't know exactly how many tokens it's going to make. So that seems pretty iffy to me. <laughs> it is, but there is, it could be amazing. You know, it could kill exactly what you want to dodge, have your own things, dodge it, right. and then add to your army of knights. In which case you'll feel like, you know, you won yeah, the lottery, <laughs> but like, yeah, what's for sure. What's, what's the odds that that's going to happen? You know, if you're playing a card like Marshall coup, you know, right. where, where you are going to be paying a lot of mana to board wipe and create things, then maybe this is fine. Or, you know, maybe this replaces Frexian rebirth, a yeah. six, another six mana wipe that leaves you with something on the battlefield. But if you want a wrath of God, play wrath of God. Yeah, I agree. All right, one more white card we want to talk about. Face Steed, two white white for a 4-4 four, four creature elk. Whenever Face Steed attacks, another target creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. That's whatever. And it says, whenever a creature or planeswalker you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. I like drawing cards. Um, but in, white, in a white deck that attacks... In a white deck that wants other creatures on the battlefield to attack with face steed for that yeah. other ability, I'm more afraid of a board wipe than single target removal. Also, like, how often would you draw a card with this in a game? Like, once, maybe twice, seems like about the top end of what could happen. Off many games, maybe you won't even draw one single card. A lot of times, the thing they're going to destroy is not a creature or a planeswalker, it's an uh, artifact or enchantment. So, yeah, I, I think this is not the way white wants to get card draw. Um, if it I was just cheap, a four drop slot, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, make it a two drop, a two mana two two that only has that ability, and I like it a lot better. I do too. Because actually. the cost is so much lower. But, man, a four mana card? We've seen so many just like four drop powerhouses yeah. that just get slammed in commander decks. Like, Smothering Tithe is at that cost. So, yeah. I need this card to do a lot if it costs four mana. So, I don't really love it unfortunately i think if it was a hate bear a two mana two two then all of a sudden it would just get a lot better so yep. and it would not be broken so with you. yeah he's very cute though look at that elk yeah reindeer sorry it's a reindeer wizards disagree that's it? not a grandma though <laughs> is there all we need is a grandma and we're good that's great <laughs> okay uh we've got blue cards black cards red cards green cards colorless and multicolored cards still to go so we got a lot still to talk about don't go anywhere we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors okay we are back we are talking about the cards that go in your 99 from the forgotten realms commander product we are moving on to the color blue now 
Let's talk about Phantom Steed. Three to blue for a 4-3 creature horse illusion. It's got flash, and when Phantom Steed enters the battlefield, exile another target creature you control until Phantom Steed leaves the battlefield. Whenever Phantom Steed attacks, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of the exiled creature, except it's an illusion in addition to its other types. Sacrifice that token at the end of combat. Okay, so... It, uh, okay, so you... you Exile one of your things. It could be protection for one of your own things, right? Yes. So no, in response to angels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, in response to a board wipe, you cast this, it exiles a thing, your thing dies, and now your original thing you were protecting comes back. It's a not a very great baseline, but it exists. We would do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, you're playing it so that hopefully you're going to make multiple copies of whatever you exiled over the course of a few turns. Exactly. I mean, one thing that stinks, though, is that you have to attack with this. It's a 4-3. It looks like it flies, but it doesn't. And so you're not going to often be able to get that attacking trigger, like the creating the token. Like it's going to be hard to get it over and over and over again and keep getting those like cool ETB values that you might well, be thinking of. it's not right, but it's not the worst if it dies, right? You're right. You get... It depends on what you've exiled, but if you flash it in on the end step before your turn and let's say it's Moldrifter. Yep. That's what I would want to do. <laughs> you probably get the one attack in right then. You draw two cards... And then the next turn, maybe well, if it dies, then the mold drifter comes back. You draw two more cards. Yeah, but you're probably getting it because nobody knew about it, and it's on the end step before your turn. Like it's a fourth, or you probably you, you can usually find somebody in the before turn six or seven t- that you can attack with four power. That's not going to block. I agree. Know? And then you get the mold drifter or whatever it was. You draw a couple cards, or you ramp, or you have some other destroying artifact, or do something. And then you attack the second time, you make another copy, this time they block, it dies, and then your creature comes back into play and you get another ETB. So three ETBs off something, even though it died. Doesn't seem that bad. No, it's a, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. As a baseline, like, for what it might do. I, I mean, it's not great. What would you rather have? The Restoration Angel, where you kind of like get that for sure blink ability, or would you rather have this more interesting, like higher top end? You know what I mean? Because if you keep attacking with this and keep getting those ETBs over and over again, like this can like run away with a game. So would you do you think you'd rather have that one flicker moment, or do you think you'd rather have this sort of bigger upside of attacking and creating them over and over again? Probably the one flicker moment, just because it's more versatile about when you can do it too, which this one you have to like it's during combat, you have to kind of set it up a little bit. Um, also, we just know from our stats episodes that combat doesn't actually happen that much in a game. Like, you are not attacking six times with the creature. With, like, you're just not attacking that many times in the whole game, generally. People just think attacking is happening a lot more than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in a blue deck. Like, maybe on a Boros deck, you're planning to attack, like, every turn. But in general, that's not what blue decks are looking to do. Some are. But, yeah. yeah. I agree. I think that this could be fun. And I think that sometimes it can run away with the game. But I'm not, like... Like, am I putting it in my rune deck, which is a flicker deck? I don't know that I am. But are you putting it in your uh, Adrix and Nev twin caster decks, sort of the token uh, doubling up decks? That's interesting. Because, you know, they, when one or more, if one or more uh, tokens would be created under your control, create twice that many tokens uh, instead. That's pretty cool. So, or does this go in your Yarok the Desecrated deck? No. Double ETBs and stuff like that. And you get to, this is an ETB trigger, right? So you'd, you'd exile two things. Fancy. Yeah. Uh, exile. Vol- Volo's another one where something like that oh, might yeah. happen. Yeah, that's interesting. I also thought Sundial of the Infinite's pretty good with this because you can, you don't have to uh, exile the creatures or sacrifice the token at the beginning of the next end step. And there are a lot of decks out there that want Sundial of the Infinite for like their whole deck. And so having one more thing that works with it is great, even though you're ending at the end of combat. Yeah, Obeka, right? Like that. Yeah, Obeka is a good one. So maybe it goes in decks like that. So there are some uses for sure. Okay. All right, you want to read the next one? 
Sure. Next, we have Rod of Absorption. Two at a blue for an artifact. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, exile it instead of putting it into a graveyard as it resolves. Then you can pay X and tap it. Sacrifice Rod of Absorption. You may cast any number of spells from among the cards exiled with Rod of Absorption with total mana value X or less without paying their mana costs. So it says without paying their mana costs, but, but you, you did play X. But you are paying X. So you would have had to pay their mana cost. Yes. So you are paying their mana cost by activating this. So it's an interesting card as I think about it here. It's a player. So it's not just your opponents. So any instant or sorcery yeah. gets cast on the table while this is out. It doesn't go to the graveyard. It gets exiled. And then at some point later, you can cash this in for some amount of the cards that have been exiled over the course of the game with it. Um, you know, this is a thing where if you created a lot of mana somehow, this is going to do a lot maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Sometimes you cast, you've created a lot of mana and you're like, what are the instants and sorceries in everybody's graveyards? And they're like, you know, Ramper Growth, Cultivate, a Counterspell, and something else. And you're like, that's it? So, so let's, uh, let's imagine if this is the mid game yeah. and, you know, you've already paid three to get this on the battlefield and then you tap it and you Farseek, Brainstorm, Swords to Plowshares. I mean, that's pretty good. Like three cards. And you can do this at instant speed, right? Yeah. Like, that's not bad. But did they... Yeah. Did they cast a far speak of Brainstorm and Swords Splashers no. while this was out? <laughs> I mean, in this scenario, yeah. in this scenario, they did. But uh, you don't want to... But you're right. Yeah. You dodge a lot of the early game ramp. You yeah. dodge a lot of the early cantripping that you might do to sort of clean up your hand a little bit. Um, so what about two removal spells and a card draw spell? I think, I think not, it's fine. Not bad. It's, I, think, I mean, it's not amazing. Yeah. I think that that's the line that we're at. I think it's that it's not quite amazing because it's slow. You know, I think that if you have a card like Snapcaster Mage, you know what's in your, you know what's in your deck, you know what's in your graveyard, you can look at it. You well, you already liked the it. cards in your graveyard because they're the cards you put in your deck. Yeah. Uh, and with this one, it can still sort of act like a Snapcaster Mage a little bit. Just it sits on the battlefield so everyone knows it's there. But it can be bad for you, too, if you have things like Stampcaster Mage, because it exiled all the instants and sorceries that you played while it was out. It's true. And if somebody destroyed it, or you just haven't cracked it yet, now your Snapcasters and your Torrential Gearhulks and stuff look a lot worse because you don't, a lot of your stuff didn't go to the graveyard. That was the other question I had. Is there a value to playing this as sort of pseudo-graveyard hate? Because it does cause instants and sorceries not to go to the graveyard. And that is a big thing. Like, people will replay their instants and sorceries a lot. And a lot of, like, synergy combo stuff does have to do with, like, sort of replaying the same cards out of your graveyard. Yeah, you're like, hmm, all of my opponents have Mizix's Mastery. I'm yeah. just not going to ca- I'm just not yeah. going to crack it at I all. Just- <laughs> <laughs> Look, we need. We are telling you all the time, you need graveyard hate. And so if this, this plays count? a role of graveyard hate uh, in those specific circumstances, I think that it... I think that it's fine. I think that that's, that's not the majority of the reason why you want it in there. You want to cast your spells again and you are okay with something that does it in a really clunky fashion. Yeah, I don't know because most of those decks are where I want to cast my spells again. I have mis- ah, Master right. and things. I don't want to be exiling my own spells because what if somebody removes this? That stuff just stays exiled. That I don't like. Yeah, So right. I think it's a little bit too risky uh, to play in your Spells Matters decks, in which case it's really only useful as like stop your opponent's stuff from going to their graveyard and then hopefully I get good enough stuff where I do want to cast that later but now I'm really relying on my opponents so I just don't like the card. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, yeah. Those are the only two blue cards we were going to talk about. We're moving on to black now. The first one is Death Tyrant. Four and a black for a four-six Beholder Skeleton has Menace. 
It also has negative energy cone, which means whenever an attacking creature you control or a blocking creature an opponent controls dies, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token, and then you can pay 5 in a black and return Death Tyrant from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So you can always just return it for 6 mana. It only costs 5 to cast. I mean, getting it back for six mana over and over again is pretty good. Like, I can see this coming back in the late game for sure. It's not sure. recasted either, so you can it's return it from your graveyard to the battlefield, so you can do that at instant speed. Awesome. So, infinite mana, and this will do stuff, I guess. I, you That's already true. Have, so you already have infinite mana, you don't need this, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, so, what know. do you think about the forced combat going on? Like, you're, if you're in a situation where there's a lot of combat, you create a bunch of tutus, do you think that maybe... This belongs in attacking decks and sort of those decks that have Disrupt Decorum and Goad in it and things like that? Maybe. Those decks cause your opponents to have to attack. This cares if you're blocking, your opponent's blocking creatures die. So it could actually... Yeah, you can have them block each other. Right, right. But you can't... Yeah. Goad doesn't cause people to block. It just causes them you're to attack. You're absolutely right. Yes. You could actually have a reverse incentive here where they are like, well, I might as well attack you because your blocking creatures don't make tutus for you. Whereas if, if I'm Jimmy and I attack DJ... That's not the greatest because his blocking creatures will make tutus for... You're right. So it might actually be... The incentive structure might be improperly placed here. It does make them less likely to block your stuff when you attack because your attacking creatures dying will make you tutus. So there's that part. It's it's more likely to make your stuff unblockable than to make you unattackable, if that yeah. makes sense. So very, it feels very aggressive, actually. Um, it's I mean, it... It messes with combat for sure, because if I'm attacking with 2-2, you for sure don't want to block with a 2-2 because then I get two 2-2 two, two zombies yeah. from that situation. Yeah. Like, you don't want to trade. That sounds great to me. And then even you chumping, you know, my attacks leads to more zombies. This could it's be used. I was thinking like if you have a Dalkinori or something that allows you to cast a board wipe at instant speed, you can attack with everything, cast your board wipe. They're in, it doesn't say they have to die because of combat damage. So then you can kill everything, but still keep a board. That's cool. Another reason Vidalconora is awesome. Uh, but that's a pretty fringe case. I, I don't know. There's a lot going on in this card, but it doesn't add up to a lot in my mind. There are some Attacking Matters decks where maybe it, it kind of matters. Yeah, the Lieutenant in the in the newest Rakdos Precon, where this is a part of, you know, they care about attacking and goading. Uh, Karzar, Karzikar, the Eye Tyrant. And then there's uh, Carter, Doomscourge from Kaldheim. Yep. And then there's like Thantis, the Warweaver, that makes wants everyone to attack everywhere. So there are decks out there that could use this card. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays. I didn't think of that negative incentive to attack you rather than attack other people. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you're goading enough, or Cardor's not technically goading, but it's the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, then maybe it doesn't matter where nobody can attack you. So then that gets a little better for you, I think. That's cool. All right. Next up, we have Grim Hireling. Three to black for a three to half. No, Tiefling Rogue. Tiefling, yep. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create two treasure tokens. Black sacrifice X treasure tokens. Uh, target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn activate only as a sorcery okay so whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player so you can actually get up to six total treasures in a four player game Ooh! but if you hit one player with four creatures you still only get two treasure you have to hit three different players to get two treasure from each of them if you're even getting two treasures i like this card like yeah if you can get two treasures a turn then this is lot. great you yeah. know this is four mana it ramps you two mana like it's the kind of rate that we really, really like, and treasures we found are sometimes more useful in, than other forms of ramp. I mean, in an unblockable deck, this could become, like, six treasure a turn, which is insane. 
This is great. Um, I think that some people are going to be looking at that activated ability and, and like think like, oh, this card's not good. And you're right. That activated ability is not great. But, I don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, because it's just not a very efficient use of treasure generally, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to sack five treasures and pay a mana to do something. That's six mana. I'll just cast something that costs six mana that does better than destroy a creature, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't play a card yeah. that was like six mana kill a creature. Sorcery speed, too. Yeah. Oh. So I think you're just more likely, this is a treasure creator for your deck. It's a ramp card in your deck. If you have enough ways where you're aggressive enough and you're always getting attacks through or you're unblockable and you know you're going to be able to attack... This gets really crazy if you can attack at least two players and you know your deck can do that most yeah. games. Because four mana a turn is Smothering Tithe levels of good. I mean, Smothering Tithe also has the thing where the wheels, or people draw a lot of cards with Consecrated Sphinx or something. But still, like, it's a lot of treasure and it can... A lot of what we're trying to do, I think, in Commander anymore is set up for, like, one explosive turn somewhere around turn, like, seven, eight, nine. Yep. And this can really do that, right? Save, a tre save two treasures, get four treasures, and now all of a sudden on turn seven, I've got... 18, 19 mana. And that can often catapult you into either winning the game on the spot or just getting to an insurmountable lead. I think it's great. All right. Hellish Rebuke. This card's interesting. I thought it sucked, but then I saw one of your notes and I was like, oh, it's better than I thought. Hellish Rebuke. Two and a black. For an instant, until end of turn, permanence your opponent's control gain when this permanent deals damage to the player who cast Hellish Rebuke. Sacrifice this permanence. You lose... To life. Such weird templating. But I was thinking of this as creatures in combat. And in creatures in combat, it sucks because you're like, okay, so it has to hit me. So I got to take, take the, the damage, damage and then they got to sack it and lose the two life. I really didn't notice that word permanent. Yeah. And I think if you're just thinking about it in the creature terms, I think it's bad. It's you know, pretty bad, yeah. You look at a card like No Mercy, which is two black black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature successfully deals damage to you, destroy it. You know? And that just sits there on the battlefield forever and does that. Exactly. This is like until end of turn. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think that you do have to be playing in a meta where that permanent text matters. But it uh, can really matter because uh, you had a great example here of Perforos. Perforos, man. Perforos is a really hard card for mono black or shoot. Bractos, Demir to deal with, right? Anything to yeah. deal with. Yeah, because it's an indestructible, and in most cases, it sticks around as an enchantment. It doesn't reach a creature. An indestructible enchantment's very hard to kill for, for most colors, uh, but this says they have to sacrifice it, and it's if a, it gives all their permanents the text of, if it dealt damage to you, sacrifice it. So that's really cool, cool usage, and I think there are probably a lot of cards. Think about the Nekasar deck. Yeah. You know, that has it deals oh. damage and stuff like that. Oh. Some of them have you lose life, but there's a lot of deals damage. Think about uh, any of these that kind of get around combat damage. And there's a lot of different things out there that try to circumvent combat damage, just deal that damage directly, and it's cool to have an out to them. Even though I would not play this in a normal deck, I'd need it to work in my meta. You need to know your meta, but yeah, there's the Goblin Bombardments of the world, and there's also things yeah. like uh, my Tim deck would hate this card. So Ooh. yeah, there's some cool outside the the pumpkin uh, thinking for that card. I think it might be might be playable in certain spots. Okay, on to the red cards. We're moving Next along. Up. Moving along. We have an equipment that didn't go into the equipment in our section because it's a little bit different. It's better than those ones as well. <laughs> it's why. better than those. It's Fiend Lash, one and a red for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus O and has reach. Whenever equipped creature is dealt damage, it deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. Equip two and a red. 
So steep equip cost. But it becomes a stop hitting yourself piece. Yeah, which is really cool. Really cool. cool. Uh, and, and it so, gives it reach. I like it. It's like it can block everything. Yeah, it can block everything. This can go on really like big creatures and then sort of give them another way of attacking, which is which is very interesting. Yeah, you don't want to block it because it's a big creature coming in. So if you if you blocked it, it would you would take a ton of damage or whatever. Yeah. But also, yeah, just like your defenders. They're I mean, I've talked about the stop hitting yourself deck for years, and there's been a few new pieces added, so maybe after because I took it apart, just to spoil alert out there, because it sucked. Uh, but that was five years ago or four years ago now. I think there's my, maybe enough pieces have been made in the interim that it's good again. I don't know. I also like that this can be a little bit different. It's not just the the Brash Taunter redirect. It's like, well, now little bits of Stop Hitting Yourself can actually be huge amounts of damage. So yeah. you use a card like Pyrohemia, oh, yeah. you know, two red red uh, for an enchantment at the beginning of the end step. If no creatures are on the battlefield, sacrifice Pyrohemia. Pay a red. Pyrohemia deals one damage to each creature and each player. So instead of just you know, the normal Brash Taunter, you pay one, it does one to everything, and then Brash Taunter goes, aha, I took one, and deals one more damage. This one, uh, if it's on a big creature, it'd just be like, oh, I took one, I'm gonna deal five damage, yeah. I'm gonna deal seven damage, or yeah. whatever. So, I, I like that ability of, of it's a more enrage enabler, almost. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is an, it's definitely more enrage than stop hitting yourself, but enrage is hitting yourself, too. So, it kind of, like, blends the two, and I like that a lot. Yeah. That's cool. I I don't think it's. I still think it's a narrow card. It only goes in certain decks. Oh, it's but for it is sure a narrow cool. card. But yeah, if maybe like a Xenagos deck or something would play something like this too, where it's I'm swinging in with a twelve twelve. Yeah. It's now a fourteen twelve, and if you block it, which is normally what you would do, you're going to still take twelve. Uh. So as we're talking about the stop hitting yourself deck, yeah. you know, let's just give a shout out to Reckless Endeavor. Oh, I did want to talk about this card. Yeah. Okay. Uh, five red red for sorcery. Roll two D12 and choose one result. Reckless Endeavor deals damage equal to the result to each creature and then create a number of treasure tokens equal to the other result. So again, if you roll a six and a seven, it's going to deal seven damage to all creatures and you'll make six treasure. If that's the way you chose, which I'm assuming that's the way you would do it. The average roll on a D12 would be like a six and a half. Remember, you can't roll a zero. Yeah. Um, so seven mana, six six treasures, and six damage. Yeah, six and a half technically would yeah. be the average, right? So that sounds really good on paper. That sounds like quite good. It's all it's basically free the spell and it deals it's like a free board wipe, right? Like it sounds like blasphemous act, kinda. Ooh. It does though when you say it in those terms. I, I end up with it about the same your mana, but you, yeah, you gotta have seven to yeah. play it. Like yep, they gotta, you gotta have that seven mana to be able to board wipe. And so again, when we're talking about board wipes, we want them to be flexible. We want to be able to play them when we need them. And seven is so much. And sometimes you might roll a two. And oh my five. gosh, what if you roll a two and a two or something like that? Yeah, it's all like, of a sudden it's like okay, it cost me five mana and only did four damage to everything, which didn't kill the big stuff. Uh, and I like what you said there. You cannot cast this unless you have at least seven mana. Yes, it will refund you, but it's a mulligan in your hand until you've done that. The thing about Blasphemous Act is you can cast it for one mana on the front end. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure people didn't think of it like Blasphemous Act. Yeah. All right. This is a weird one. Let's this go This is for a it. really weird card in red. You know, red every once in a while just has this card where you're like, wait, I got to read that thing 17 times. Wheel of Misfortune, shout out. Okay, this is called Share the Spoils, one in red for an enchantment. When Share the Spoils enters the battlefield or an opponent loses the game, I don't know why that had to be there, (laughs) exile the top card of each player's library. So when you play this, each player, including yourself, exiles their top card. Or if somebody dies in the game, then each player exiles the top card of the library. Okay, during each player's turn, 
that player may play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with share the spoils and they may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell when they do exile the top card of their library so let's walk through this i play share the spoils all four players exile the top card of their library it is during my turn so I can cast one of those cards that has been exiled or play a land from among them. And then whichever one I do, it doesn't matter. I'm going to exile another card from my library when I play that. Yeah. So that the pool of cards will stay the the same for the most part. Yeah, in a four-player game, it'll always be four. And that's why they want you to be able to do it again when someone dies. Yeah. Because they want it to keep going. Oh, it theoretically, stays at four. Yeah, because theoretically, if you there could gotcha. be four cards exiled just from one deck. And then if that person died, they'd all go away. So well, then it wants to restart it up again. I guess they don't always want it to be four, because if you start with a five-player game, but it'll always, yeah, yeah, be, yeah. The it'll always be the number of players in the until game. Until someone dies, and then it'll keep going. Just now, it's the math is a little bit different. So... uh it, you can only play one of the cards on your turn, though, because yeah. during each player's turn, that player may play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled will share this was. So you can't, like, cast one of them. Oh, I still got mana. Cast another one. You can. You have, there's four cards there, or whatever, if it's a four-player game. Uh, you choose one of them. You play it. You exile the top card of your library, which goes into the pool, and now I pass the turn to DJ, and he can do the same thing from the cards in the middle there. Uh, but again, it'll only be one. Then he'll exile the top card of his library. It's kind of like, when you describe it in this way, it reminds me of a Howling Mind type of effect, right? You play a card that gives card advantage to the entire table. You yeah. get to use it first because, you know, some, you know, because at some point it might, it probably gets to the point where there's four lands there. Yeah. Uh, I which would is not a the, land from there. Yeah, I would do but that. But it, it, that's probably not the best if you have lands in your hand. You're right. So the person that gets... You want to leave lands there so there's fewer options from someone else. So you make someone else play the land and then flip over something really good. Right. So it, you have a slight advantage, I'd say, in that. You get to go first, so you're going to pick the best card. And then it gets a little worse as it goes around because the lands will start to stack up. I mean, if your deck is really specific or really, like, I don't know, narrow, then maybe the cards that you add to the pile don't help everyone else. True. That's a good point. Like you have a really narrow strategy where your cards aren't good outside of your strategy very often. That could be a thing. I think also just red and white tend to be okay playing Howling Mind type effects where they're like, listen, I don't have as much card advantage in my colors. So giving the entire table card advantage is actually good for me because me use having access to card advantage is way better than a blue deck that already has its own card advantage. Like, one extra card to DJ's deck may not be that big of a deal because he already has a bunch of cards yeah. in his deck that draw him cards. Whereas to me, I don't. So his him drawing his seventh card in a turn is not as good as me drawing my second, if that makes sense. It does, yes. So, I don't know. It is a weird card. It's interesting, but I don't think it's probably that great. I don't think it's that great either. Especially, It basically yeah. just is the same philosophy as would you play Howling Mine if you're not in a Nekusar deck. Right? I think so. Too. Yes, I agree. And, and sometimes the answer is yes, I, I've done that. But it's yeah, rare. I think it's rare too, especially because there's a lot of other impulse draw out there. Like red is not that hard up for card draw. And this one yeah, opens it up to everyone else now too. Anymore, red is actually really good at card advantage with all the impulsive draw and the wheel effects and things like that. If you so, have a card, if you have a Dranith Magistrate, 
your opponents can't play. One in a blue for a 1-3 human wizard. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Oh, so congratulations. You've created a only you get the extra card advantage from the card. Yeah, yeah but then you, you eventually run out of their cards and you're just playing cards from your own deck. But well, you played Dranus Magistrate, yeah. so they're going to try and kill you now because they can't cast their commanders. <laughs> that's what I've learned about that card. It seems awesome until you know, realize right? like, as soon as I play it, everyone tries to kill me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up, we have Vengeful Ancestor. Two red red for a 3-4 spirit dragon with flying. Whenever vengeful ancestor enters the battlefield or attacks goad target creature whenever a goaded creature attacks it deals one damage to its controller okay so goad we like i like goad a lot i like goad uh, a lot so too. more goad is good i think goading only one thing is less good it's it on etb so you can shenanigans some blink and some etb and attack yeah yeah uh okay sorry i forgot i was on attack um yeah. You can do a little bit of shenanigans with the ETB, maybe reanimate it, blink it, things like that. Uh, really, that second part maybe just makes it go in a go deck where it's like, I'm already goading all creatures my opponents control over and over, so I may as well have that deal like four, five, six damage to them. Yeah, just imagine if you had to disrupt decorum and then each when they attack with all their creatures, it also deals one damage to them, and then they are leaving themselves open to your attack, mm. which then deals one damage to you. It just kind of like makes the damage build on itself and that's what go decks kind of want to do they kind of want to um have everyone take a little bit of extra damage so that creatures and creature attacking is a little bit more relevant it i wish vengeful like ancestor did the damage it says the creature that it's attacking deals one damage to its controller because now you can't torbrand you can't fire emancipation it's true you can't grafted exoskeleton which is a little bit too bad i wish they would have made vengeful ancestor doing the damage because then i think you could make that one damage count for more. Because it's very rare in a game that people are attacking with three or more creatures. It's just, people just don't have that many creatures that often. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I mean, it's an upgrade from Coveted Peacock. Three three blue blue for a three four flyer. When it attacks you, goad cargo creature defending player controls. Yeah, it's an upgrade of it. That's true. <laughs> it's an upgrade over a sub card you've never seen played or heard of. I've played the Peacock before. <laughs> I've watched a TV show on Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> there are decks out there that go though remember uh cardor the uh, yeah cardor does not does not go it doesn't say the words goad on it uh, right so it won't even work with it, it might it might actually still go in that deck anyways because you want to force combat but it does not goad uh but there are cards that do marisi breaker of the coil does goad you know yeah. so it definitely goes in that deck uh all right we're moving on to the green cards green card i card. should say there's only one we're going to talk about it's called druid of purification it's only one card but it's a pretty good one three and a green for a two three human dru druid when Druid of Purification enters the battlefield, starting with you, each player may choose an artifact or enchantment you don't control. Destroy each permanent chosen this way. So in a perfect world, I go, play this, target that, and then it goes to DJ, and he goes, oh, I'm going to kill that other thing. And then it goes to Jimmy, and he says, I want to kill this other thing. And then it goes to Maria, and she says, I'm going to kill it, and you get four things, and none of them can be yours. <laughs> you get the one thing you want, because you picked that, and then probably, like... You know, they're destroying each other's stuff, so it's probably all stuff that you want. That's gr that's great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it has the potential. I mean, if you count this body, and it is a relevant body, I guess, five for one? Sure. I don't know if I count the two, three as... Yeah, but but it's reusable, right? It's because when yeah, it enters the battlefield, so many flicker and things like it that. away and all this yeah. other good stuff. But yeah. I mean, here's the thing. They can work against you. Yeah. So that you say, I want to kill this thing, and then they say, okay, well, I'm going to pick that one too. If I'm they all vote for the same thing or they're willing, yeah, then you'll only destroy one thing. But really, Reclamation Sage is already a card that we would play, and it's one more mana. One of the most popular green cards 
Yep. In commander decks, this is one more mana for the potential for killing more things. I think in most games, you will kill four things when you play it because you're going to go, boom, uh, you know, I'm going to target one thing and then it's going to go to the next player and they're going to be like, well, that thing's already dead. Yeah. All it takes is one other player to or, just well, not yeah, have an artifact here's or the thing, If you're killing my thing, yeah. am I going to vote for my own thing or I'm going to be like, well, since Why do I want to help my other two? Yeah. Why you voted for it too? All right, I'm going to kill that. And four artifacts is often early in the game, especially like all the artifacts and champions on the board. So they just like, well, I may as well pick something because they can't pick another one of my things because that's my one artifact. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty comparable to like Pure's Whim. Three and a green uh, for each player. Choose friend or foe. Each friend searches their library for a land card, puts it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffles their library. Each foe sacrifices an artifact or an enchantment they control. I don't think it's comparable, though, because Piers Wim gets their worst thing. Yeah. Whereas Druid of Purification gets their best things. You and there's a right. big difference between their worst thing and their best thing because a treasure token is not very good. A clue token is not very good to get. Your soul ring is a lot better. Your skull clamp is a lot better. You are absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So we have something that's sees play. That's pretty playable. I think, uh, Piers whim was not something embarrassing. Reclamation right. stage stage is a staple. And now we have something that's a one more mana, more expensive and potentially way more impactful. I think way better than Piers whim and like pretty close to even with reclamation stage. I mean, one mana does matter. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Very cool. That was our I, only green my, card, yeah. but it's a doozy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. We're now into the colorless cards. I like this first one. I do too. It's Ebony Fly. Two mana for an artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add a colorless or diamond mana to your mana pool. So it's a two mana rock. But it says pay four and then roll a D6. Until end of turn, you may have Ebony Fly become a XX insect artifact creature token with flying. Sorry, not token. Creature with flying where X is the result. So you pay four, roll a D6. If you get a three, it's a three, three flyer. Whenever Ebony Fly attacks, another target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. So it not only flies itself, but it gives something flying. An interesting thing here is if you didn't like the number you rolled and you had more mana, you could roll again. Oh, cool. And try and make it bigger um what is the downside of playing a two mana rock that comes into play tapped uh it is later sometimes in the game when the way that it plays out you want to use that mana immediately uh most of the time though uh if i'm playing uh like a ramp spell on two i'm okay with it entering the battlefield tapped because most times you don't have a one drop exactly because if you had a one drop you'd play it on turn one very rarely would you then draw that one drop or have two one drops in your hand to be able to need this to be able to tap and a lot um, of one drops don't care that much uh if you get it out right away yeah and right. you have far seek and signets all of those you know don't can't do that as well they also enter the battlefield tapped kind of yeah you know so i yeah, think rampant that it's growth a, is one of the most staple staple cards in the format that thing comes in tapped so. absolutely so i actually think that the biggest downside is that it doesn't fix your mana uh, i don't it doesn't bother me that it enters the battlefield tapped um but mindstone thought vessel those cards all see play and generally speaking when i'm in a non-green deck i'm looking for as many two mana rocks as i can find you're absolutely right so and then the most of those do not have the upside of hey later in the game turns into a flying creature that is better than that actually jumps one of my other creatures love that it jumps one of your other creatures yeah. that's huge so i actually it, think for getting other things through for damage is just gigantic in these kinds of decks so now it becomes a two mana ramp spell that's kind of a rogue's passage right it has the same um 
has the same activation cost. Actually, less because Rose Passage is four plus the land, so it costs you five yeah. mana. And this also becomes a creature. So even in certain decks, like, hey, I got Sword of Feast and Famine or something, I can at least suit this onto it, maybe get that four mana back. Um, yeah, I like. I actually think this card is quite good. And the cost of putting it in your deck is very low. I think that it's quite good, too, and I, I totally agree. I, I love these kinds of effects. I think that... Uh, Creature lands in general is something that I really like, and I've been, um, I think that I've undervalued personally, yeah. because I've seen that when you have something that can then animate into a creature to be able to take out a planeswalker or uh, threaten something that needs threatening when you need to, it ends up being really good. And this uh, is another way of sort of getting that extra damage through when you need it. But on its baseline, it's like floor is like two mana rock, like great. already very playable. Yeah. I think this is going to be an auto include in a lot of decks. Uh, I think we're going to see it quite a bit. It's very, it's very good. Love it. All right. Next up, we have Under Dark Rift. It's a land that taps for a colorless. You can tap five and tap this. Exile Under Dark Rift, roll a d10. Put target artifact, creature, or planeswalker into its owner's library just beneath the top X cards of the library where X is the result. Activate only as a sorcery. So interesting. And it's a removal spell. Artifact creature or planeswalker only on a land. I mean, that is Have a removal, though. Have... If you tuck something, even to the top of their library is removal, technically. Yes. Like, it gets off the battlefield, it costs them a draw step. They have to draw it again, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, do we have we ha seen removal on a land like this before? I'm trying to think. Blast Zone is what I'm thinking of, but that's more of a um, board wipe. Yeah, uh, like if near Deadlands that gives like minus oh, one, right, minus right, one right. or like there are these like tiny there's effects. Like, there's like a desert that does something yeah. similar right? if you sack another desert. And then there's like the ones from Kaldheim that gives just like minus minus and stuff like that. Oh, right, or, like, right. And then there's the one that does some damage. But like we're talking about like small effects. This is like answer your commander, you know, answer your well, big It's actually a really good point Elishnorn. about commander. Like, if you do this to a commander, they put it in the command zone, right? They don't put it third from the top of their deck or whatever. Ow. So yeah. this, like, just kills a commander. That seems pretty good. Uh, it doesn't enter the battlefield tapped. Thumbs up. Oh, so that's thumbs up. Creates colorless mana. About how many lands in your average, like, two-color deck would you say you can afford to have that don't tap for the colors of the... It goes... The more it colors your in your deck... Yeah. The more colors in your deck the less you can afford to have a land that doesn't tap for colored mana. So once you get to five colors in your deck, you can barely even afford to have like one or two lands that don't tap for color. But at two colors, you can afford, I think, six or seven. That's a, that's high, but it that's depends That's high, too. but if you have a, a you have tuned enough lands, mana base yeah. and stuff like that, because a lot of times when you're talking about a high-end mana base, you have multiple fetches, you have multiple duels and stuff right. like that. You're not running a lot of basics. So you're going to get But three or four is pretty easily Oh, easy. Doable. I think you can do three or four. Is easy. this, does this then crack the top three or four does this go above what are the top colorless lands in the format that you play in a lot of decks i play a lot of winding, winding canyons if it's a creature's deck they strip mine like almost strip above. mine i would yeah. almost play strip mine and wasteland over a lot of other things yeah strip mine for sure if yeah. i only have so many though so they don't go in all my decks because i've only got like four strip mines but winding canyons <laughs> is a favorite of mine oh, too. i love winding canyons uh there's there's like commanders uh what's the one that puts it back command See, tower command t no, no no command tower tough oh, for sorry. color what's the one that like puts it back into your hand from the command zone or whatever yeah i know what you're like, talking about yeah there's there i don't know like there's it's very this is six mana to activate this yeah it's thing. a lot are you actually going to do that because my guess is 
that that mana cost, you just never find a spot where you like where you like it. Here's where I think it belongs. I think it belongs in green decks that have a hard time dealing with certain things. Sometimes they can only mm. fight creatures, uh, and sometimes there's an Elish Norn across the battlefield, and you're just like, oh, I can't get past it. I'll just kill you know? it, yeah. Or in uh, or co- any co- obviously colorless decks, you know, they'll run this for sure because it's they don't, pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, and there are there are things out there, there are decks out there that would really want some sort of answer. So I think that I will play this in some decks, and I I think that... I think that it's pretty okay. I think we're going to, it looks cool, but, and people are going to play it and you're going to see it in play and you will rarely see it activated. I agree. I think very rarely. Six mana is just so much. You have to be like in pretty dire straits to ever pay six mana at sorcery speed to destroy a creature. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now to the multicolored cards. We got four color cards left. All right. Next up, we have Dragonborn Champion. Two red-green for a 5-3 Dragon Warrior. It's got Trample. And whenever a source you control deals five or more damage to a player, draw a card. Oh. I like anything that says draw a card, but I have to deal five damage from one source? Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people were confused about being able to easily deal five damage. It's like, no, it's from e- from one source. Right. You know? So something has to hit four or five at a time. Yes, or more. Well, sure. Good. Yeah, that's great. More. That's why Josh is laughing is because, you know, you're like, oh, I could draw like three or four cards. Well, if you're doing 15 or 20 damage to someone. Seems know, like you're winning. You're yeah, winning the game. Like, do you really need that? Seems like you've already drawn the cards you need because you're now winning. Like, there just aren't a lot of turns in Commander where you just deal 15. That's right. you usually are dealing like little chunk, little chunk, little chunk. Everybody's dead. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's. Commander doesn't tend to be that incremental as far as like, you know, you deal five to each opponent, then 10 to each opponent, then 10 to each opponent, then 15 to each opponent, then, you know, it doesn't tend to work that way. So now it does say source you control, you know, and it doesn't say combat damage. It's five or more damage. So, you know, uh, I could be direct damage, you know, something like that. Um, What deals five damage at a time, though? We're talking about like Heartless Hitsugu and stuff like that. Yeah. Heartless. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. But you're already if you get that out (laughs) and you activate Heartless Hitsugu, like how many games have you been in where somebody activates a Heartless Hitsugu and you live? They never would play it until they're going to be able to kill everybody, maybe sometimes including themselves with it <laughs> by untapping it or doing some weird stuff, right? Like nobody just plays it okay. and goes like, hey, deal deal 20 to everybody. I draw a card, go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, so, so here's the thing, here's the thing. So let's just say that this is just, you have some ways to deal five, but they're, they're not going to line up together. Right. Just this dealing five alone. Like does this just as a five, three that could draw you a card when it connects? If it was a five, seven, but it's a five, three, so they're going to block it. I mean, I would it has block trample. It. it has trampled, but it only deals five. So if they block one of it, then yep. I mean, I'm going to block it like most times because the because of the card draw, it's just not worth it. I would, I would as well. It makes yeah. sense in the Verandas deck because it's making five fours. Yeah, for sure. So if if you have a deck that just happens like one of the things it's doing is making five power or more, and it's going to do that a lot, like consistently in a game, then maybe it's okay. But yeah, I would want to draw at least two cards off of this ability and hard to set that up. And then I'm, and I'm having a hard time imagining setting it up. So it means that mm, lowers the power level there. All right. The next one is fevered suspicion, six black, red, eight mana for a sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non land card. You may cast any number of spells from among those non land cards without paying their mana costs. And then it has rebound, which means when you cast a spell from your hand, you exile it as it resolves. And then at the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. 
So you pay eight mana for this. You're going to get a spell off each player's library, right? Each opponent, sorry, yes. not yourself. So you're going to, but they, it can't be a land because they have to keep going until they hit a non-land. Yes. And then on your upkeep, you're going to get another spell from each opponent. So you, Six for one, Josh. You get six spells for sure off this thing. Uh, for sure. Whether you want to cast them or not, marks, you know, yeah. hit a counter spell, hit a board wipe when you don't want it, you know, things like that. Yeah, just hit a ramp spell or, a, you know, because you, you're spending eight man on this thing. So the question you have to be asking yourself is like, would I rather cast expropriate? You know what I mean? Well, like, of course you'd rather cast I'm just saying you're at the level <laughs> yes, of like, right. it, I mean, not use augury or something even. Like you're at the level. Yeah, oh, you're right. Card, sorry, but <laughs> you're at the level of like, I'm spending a lot of mana on a sorcery. It should have a big effect on the game. And this is like, well, maybe. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, even though you get to do it twice. Also, by the way, it's a scary card. There's a good chance you do this because you're late in the game. You have eight mana when you cast this. And it doesn't go super well or you, you get one good thing out of three. And then the other player is like, he's going to cast that for free at the beginning of his... Let's kill him. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't like this card. Uh, I don't like it either, especially when we have something like a Tali out there. Six oh, mana. Tali's just way better, yeah. It's your own... Yeah. So anyways... <laughs> all right I, do oh, like, I, do, I like how you said vile smasher loves this because it rebounds for another eight damage later so you get eight when you play it and then you get eight more later so 16 damage there we go yeah. i'm still the, not the putting that... it in my vile smasher deck though <laughs> i do like this rectos card it's hurl through hell two uh black red for an instant exile target creature until the end of your next turn you may cast that card and you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to cast that spell so you Kill their thing, exile it, and then you can kind of steal it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I play Hostage Taker, you know, good. and then the card is good, uh, I oftentimes don't like just slam it for four. I want to be able to play it and then cast what I stole right afterwards. Oh, yeah. That's because, why it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because you get the two for one. And so this lets you do that two for one, but it's also instant speed exile so mm -hmm. that if you do decide not to cast it or you can't cast it. Um, Hostage Taker exiles, does it? Yeah. Yeah, but it comes back. You know what I mean? Like right, if right. Kill if they kill Hostage Taker or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and then you can have the choice of casting it or not. So I actually think that Hurl Thrill is quite good. Okay. Well, let me tell you why I think it's way worse than Hostage Taker, though. Well, yeah. I. Okay. It doesn't hit artifacts, too. It's true. And I'd say 75% of the time, Hostage Taker is taking a Soul Ring or something, which you can't do with this. You cannot. Uh, and then until the end of your next turn you may cast that thing so you have you're on a clock it's not like whenever you feel like it after this it's like no exile that thing and then on your next turn if you, you want it, it yeah, you, you have to do it. it you're right yeah and four mana for a removal spells not that great in that case i mean you can't blink this thing maybe you could like i guess if you had snapcaster major torrential gear hulk it probably gets a lot better um but it's inst i like that it's instant speed yeah i like that it's exile even if you choose not to Right, you can just leave it in exile. You can yeah. just leave it in exile because... Uh, but if you're going to do that, that, then you're just like, why didn't I play Utterand? Or, well, I guess you're in Red Black, so maybe... Yeah, but are you are you playing Terminate? Are you playing, like, Bedevil? Yeah, but it hits artifacts. Bedevil does hit artifacts. Yeah, yeah. Terminate does it, you know what right? I mean? Yeah. yeah. Red Boar, that's only two mana. Sorcery Speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the... the the it's one extra awful. mana is all, you're right. The one extra mana is a lot, especially when you want interaction, because a lot of times you want your instant speed interaction to be as cheap as possible. So you can so you still can do stuff on your you turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I like the idea. I like the outside chance of being able to get a two for one fr from it. Sure. I don't think you're going to play it. 
Josh is calling me out. He's probably I don't, I don't right. Really I don't really don't think, think you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play. I know you DJ and four man is too much for that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to defend the card. I like it. Calling me out. And he's right. <laughs> All right. Last card we're going to talk about is a card that I, it feels like a card I would play, but I probably won't. So it's ride the avalanche. It's a green and a blue. So two mana for an instant. The next spell you cast this turn can be cast as though it had flash. When you cast your next spell this turn, put a 1-1 counter, put, sorry, X 1-1 counters on up to one target creature where X is the mana value of that spell. So you cast Ride the Avalanche and then you flash out like a six mana something and you get to put six 1-1 counters onto a creature. Uh, but it's probably That's not- already on the battlefield. Yeah, because yeah. it can't be, like let's say you cast a six drop creature with flash speed from Ride the Avalanche. It's a cast trigger on Ride the Avalanche, so you can't put the six counters onto the creature you're casting that's triggering this thing. Yeah. Which is a pretty big downside because, you know, you don't always have another creature out. That's just the way magic goes sometimes. There's another card that this is similar to that I actually think the other card we're about to compare to is better, and I still don't play this other card, so I'm probably not playing Ride the Avalanche. (laughs) It's Savage Summoning. It's a green mana for an instant. Savage Summoning can't be countered. The next creature card you cast... uh, this turn can be cast as though it had flash. That spell can't be countered, and that creature enters the battlefield with an additional 1-1 counter on it. This is a card I've toyed around with before, Savage Summoning. Yeah. I've definitely put it in decks and found that, like, there just weren't enough spots where it warranted... It's not like Quicken, which, um, which replaces itself. So Quicken lets you cast a sorcery at flash speed, but it also says draw a card and so quicken is playable and quite good and i i will use it in decks that have enough sorceries because worst case scenario you just go quicken draw a card what are you gonna what sorcery are you gonna cast nothing i don't have one go but it <laughs> didn't just, hurt you very much yeah it doesn't hurt you at yeah all. whereas savage summoning doesn't draw you the card right the avalanche doesn't draw you the card it's just not worth a whole card to cast one thing at flash speed even if it gets a little bigger yeah so i mean this could be a uh, the one thing i'll say about ride the avalanche is it, it can be a combat trick that's true Right. You're right. It, you do need another card to follow it up to make yes. it a combat trick, though. Yeah. Um, but so, still, it could, you could do it on your turn, just like, you know, attack, they block. You got, This just doesn't come up in Commander very often. But because it doesn't come up very often, how many times are we in a game where, like, you attack with a 2-2 two, two, two into their 1-3, and they're like, yeah, block, because nobody plays combat tricks in Commander. And you can be like, boom... Boom, I killed your 1-3. Owned, Josh. It only took me two cards. If it's my Thrasios, like, that sucks, you know? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's a very specific situation. <laughs> no, Thrasios is very good. It goes in all the decks, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're blocking the... Okay, that doesn't that make it... the card? No, though? it doesn't make it much better. Okay, so I... Here's the thing. I The internet likes this card. The internet likes this card? Yeah, the internet likes this card. Craig even kind of likes this card. He likes the idea of... Craig doesn't like this card. He's he not going to play this card. He was, we were talking about... Because of infect, yes. Because of infect, because of surprise, he likes being able to put a. He bunch does of play combat tricks in his like pure infect decks, which he doesn't have very many of pure infect decks. Yeah, um, people are talking about pretty crazy stuff, like you know, Tell being me. able to <laughs> being able to play this and then play like a temporal trespass, which is an eleven mana sorcery that says take an extra turn after this one. But what you have temporal trespass in your hand already. You're just going to pay a three mana extra turn spell. You don't need. What does ride the avalanche do here? Give something plus eleven plus eleven and does it at instant speed. Sure. Or I guess <laughs> treasure cruise dig through time. Like the if the cost reduction is big enough, maybe. 
I don't. But I, if you're in a temporal trespass deck, you ain't like attacking people for winning, right? Like you're you gonna... are absolutely right. I do not like this card. Yeah, because why do you care about counters if you've got extra turn spells? I don't. You're arguing with Reddit right now. Okay. Yeah, that's well. <laughs> I promised myself I'll stop arguing with Reddit. So. But people, uh, here's the thing: people like this card. They like the combat trick ability because it's a combat trick and a sneaky way to cast spells. So it's two sneaky things in one. So play, put this card in your deck and kill Josh with it. Sure. You're going to do what I did with Savage Summoning, which is try it a few times and realize, like, it's just not worth the slot. Can I make a point, too, is that Savage Summoning, one reason why it felt clunky is because you all, you can never play on curve. Right. You always have to need that one extra green yep. to be able to play this stuff, and so it feels behind. And this is off by two, which is way more than you think when it's talking about being on curve and off curve. So Honestly, I think it would be better if it said any spells you cast for the rest of the turn had flash. It didn't wouldn't have to even give the plus one counters because that's something where you can have a crazy explosive turn on an end step on like turn 10 where you can be like, yes, it's two yeah, mana right. off, but what I'm doing is I'm flashing in three things oh, and then I'm tapping right. and doing something else. But the fact that it only lets you cast one thing kind of makes it so that part of it isn't even as good. So. I like that too. Yeah. Okay, Josh, uh, what do you think is the most powerful of the cards we talked about today? Oh boy. That is... Okay, hold on. I got to look through this. I, I know what you think because you wrote it down on the thing. And I might think the same thing as you. I'm just looking through everything real quick to see if I... Oh, yeah. Okay, I know what mine is. But I'll let you go first because I sort of agree with you, but I'm going to say something different just you know for the audience. <laughs> uh, I like Druid of Purification. Honestly, it I think that it's fun because it's political. It gets everyone talking. I like that aspect of it. But also... It just can be a staple where you kill what you want to kill and everything else is gravy. So uh, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of Druid of Purifications hitting the battlefield as we play. I think Ebony Fly. I think this card's just going to see a lot of play because the downside is so low. I like agree. Like the cost of putting this into your deck is very, very low. And it is a thing where I think you will be able to sort of... There's often a point in the game where you're like, if I could just sneak this creature and it would be important to me. Yep. And the fact that the downside on it is so low and also just like, Hey, you got an equipment, like I said, or I want to kill, I want to get the Monarch. I want to kill a planeswalker. Yes. I want to be able to get my commander in for commander damage. Yep. Like I need to get a combat damage trigger, all this stuff. There's a lot of points in games where people play a board wipe and do something. And they're kind of counting on the fact that I just played the board wipe. So nothing's gonna be able to get at me. That's why haste is so good. So this is, yeah, I like this card a lot. I think I'm going to put it in a bunch of decks. Uh, honorable mention. You pulled this out. I like it a lot is Grim Hireling. This is the one where whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create two treasure tokens. I do think that's going to create a lot of treasure. We're going to see that one on the battlefield as well. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, okay, so what card are you personally the most excited about, though, I of am, all this stuff? I am personally excited about my coveted Peacock upgrade, uh, Vengeful Ancestor, the one that <laughs> goads and messes with your their creatures and deals damage for how they goad. I think this is a really fun card. I want to play it, make your creature attack into there, have things be political, mess with your boards, and do all sorts of cool stuff like that. I'm excited about it. I uh, love the goad mechanic. It's fun. I think I'm most excited about Fiend Lash, which is that equipment that says whenever equipped creature is dealt damage, it deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. That's great. I think some shenanigans could occur. I like what you were saying, too, about how you can sort of turn this into a lot of damage from a little damage. So even if you just have a Goblin Bombardment or some stuff like that in your deck, you could play this maybe as like a, hey, I'm going to attack most of the time with my thing, and this is going to make it really hard to block it. But then sometimes I'm going to do gross stuff where I'm just like, sacrifice my creature to ping my own creature for one to deal seven to you. That's do that awesome. again, do that again, you're dead. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Oh man, I wonder if this belongs in like my goblin deck or something like that. Because that, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. that happens all the time where it's just like ping instead of one damage seven. Or, yeah, exactly. It's so much different if all of a sudden I'm sacrificing a creature. to Just deal. a two-two is like on this. And, it makes it a four power. So just bam, bam. And because you can do goblin bombardment on other people's turns, you can even like even if it's like a three-three, you can do it twice. It's got two damage marked on it. Go to your turn. Do it twice. Go to your t- next turn. So yeah, I think Fiend Lash is pretty cool. I think it's cool too. All right, to the listeners, who cares what we think? What card that we talked about today do you think is either the most powerful or your favorite? Which decks of yours are you putting them into? We'd like to hear any cool combos or whatever you have with any of the cards that we talked about. Or maybe there's some cards, you know, we didn't talk about every new card design for this set. So maybe there's something we didn't mention that you want to talk about. Please, in the comments is the place to do it. We do love going through that stuff. And we know our audience likes going through it too, just because, you know, we're just a couple of magic people brains here it's as the internet has taught us we're not going to think of everything so uh the the group think really does help all the time in the comments i'm like boy we should have thought of that that's really cool yeah for sure or if you are a patron and you're in the discord that's a place where people are firing ideas back and forth uh in big conversations about that so for sure yeah so join our patreon com slash command zone i like that plug thank you dj uh, another plug is you're going to want to get your hands on these forgotten realms commander decks there's four of them there's not just these cards there's all the legendary creatures from the set there's also the main afr set uh there's also a set coming out like every five minutes these days so if you're like <laughs> me you're pretty far behind if you're going to order magic cards singles product anything at all cardkingdom.com slash command zone that's the best best place to go to get those cards card kingdom is going to get you your stuff the fastest and in the best condition and then once you have those cards make sure you protect them you don't want them to lose any value ultra pro they really do make the best products to protect your game pieces every single card we have up here you can see is in pro gloss eclipse sleeves because as soon as we take these cards we're not barbarians as soon as we take these cards out of the boxes we put them directly into the ultra pro sleeves we need them looking good on camera that's right you know and so Cam we want them protected yeah exactly that's the ones we trust to protect our own own collections with ultra pro really does make the best stuff to protect your stuff so uh, by supporting our sponsors you are supporting all of our content all right we've had so many episodes i think we're averaging three videos a week so right Right now, we are still on a hiatus from the end steps. Uh, we'll come back soon, though, once we settle down. Hopefully hopefully someday we get back to, like, one know, right? podcast episode a week. <laughs> Maybe. We'll happens. see. Yeah. Uh, but big thanks to our amazing team here at the Command Zone. Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Alfred Staka, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Arthur Meadowcroft, Sam Waldo, and Gaurav Galati. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations that start our show and also often sit behind us although sam waldo was responsible for this cool i think that's the underdark back there yeah there's some floating things over there yeah <laughs> there's some spiders that run by i think a beholder <laughs> uh, all right everybody uh thanks for watching and we will see you soon bye everyone peace For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>